I'm Sabatesh. I'm Robert Arari. It's Tuesday, April 7th, 2020. And it's another quarantine episode of Casual Poor. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It it's is lot. tough. It is tough to be quarantined. What have you been doing this week during your quarantine? Oh, man. We, we, <laughs> we just launched uh, Mind Reader Medical, which is one of... We, we have Mind Reader, which is one of our divisions, which um, does a lot of home and office products. And we, we source products from all over the world. So... We, we, we could source any product basically. So we figured, um, you know, there's a big shortage of equipment. So we're working on that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just, all resources are being pushed there. So it's nonstop. And you know, when you're talking to China, you, you, have, to, you have to talk to them at night and in the morning because their nights and your mornings are all different. I'm exhausted. I am so tired right now. I don't even know what I just told you. <laughs> I don't know what I just said. <laughs> you, you just lost it. You just, it I have it, no I, I think it, it, made, it, it made sense. <laughs> made sense to me. No, I got, I got, I got what you were okay. saying. Okay. And, and, and listen, let's acknowledge the fact we're supposed to be drinking on this show right now. I'm drinking tea. I'm drinking. I don't want to say water, but I'm drinking water. Listen, well, I'm not going to uh, drink alone in my apartment. Like I'm not. Why? I'm not going <laughs> to. You got me on Zoom. <laughs> That's true. Well, why aren't you drinking? Because if I drink, then I can't get on the phone with China tonight. Fair enough. Listen yeah. to all of our viewers. I mean, our listeners and viewers. Um, Wait, whichever one you are. A, yeah, we're getting a lot of views now on our videos too, which has been really cool. Really, really cool. Listen, but anyways, it's kind of um, weird to all of you guys, we promise now. we yeah. will. Yeah, we promise that we will be back to drinking soon. It's just no. I'll drink next week. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it if 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 I'm not as busy, and we'll we'll figure it out. Oh, you don't have alcohol in your house. Yeah, but now that you made the commitment on air, I could get alcohol for the house. That's true. That's true. You yeah. know, in New York, they're considered essential, essential stores. I think people need a beer right now. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. you know, I'll drink next week. Let's just, it's an off week. It's an off week. Maybe we'll drink next week. I know it's called casual pour. We're going to get back to it. We promise we're going to drink so much. Be like Trump. We're going to drink so much. <laughs> it's going to be unbelievable. You've never seen people drink like we've drunk. What's, what's on the show? This, who's on the show this week? All right, so we got a pretty packed episode this week. This week, we're going to be talking about Quibi, the mobile-first streaming platform that launched this week. We spoke about it on another episode. Quibi, officially- Quibi, Quibi. It's not good. It's not. It's not. It is not. It was supposed good. to be a revolution in mobile streaming. It was supposed to change everything. They raised a ton of money. It was supposed to upend the industry. Got the best investors from the from the biggest companies and and. I don't think it lives up to the hype, but I'm not going to say I told you so, but actually I'm going to fucking say it. You can say it. I fucking told you so. I knew it was going to suck and it sucked, but we're going to talk about that in a minute after our our conversation about Quibi. We're going to call up some friends and hear how them and their portfolio companies respond to coronavirus. Our weekly call-ins. We're still trying to figure out what we're going to call that segment, but... Uh, and then after we call in our friends, we're going to actually play an older interview from a simpler time uh, when we were allowed to see each other in person and uh, coronavirus times. was just a headline from far, 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 far on the other side of the country. I mean, universe, um, a man named Emil Davitian. Emil was the former national, he was a former national security advisor, uh, specifically cyber policy advisor for the prime minister of Australia before he started 
a incredible geofencing company called Blue Dot. We're going to talk about what geofencing means and what it's like when your company grows up. They just raised another big round and they're growing pretty fast now and he's got a team all over the world and we're going to talk about what it's like to manage a company like that and taking it from idea to all of a sudden having this big company. Then after our conversation with Emil, we are going to talk about Zoom. Zoom is facing a class action lawsuit between all of its users and its service. Basically, Zoom has been giving information to Facebook surprise surprise without its users permission so that's what's on the roster for this week wow. Sal, how did you feel about quibi so if you watched the show before one topic which just seemed to like like go throughout every single one of our episodes and i don't know why but it just worked out that way is quibi so just an intro on quibi if you don't know what quibi is I'm not going to comment on that yet. Let's hold off for a second, but let's just talk about what Quibi is. Okay. Quibi launched um, Sunday night, right? So Monday. Um, and the idea of the service is they, wa they wanted to make content that was short form that can be watched on your phone when you get in an Uber or while you wait for your table at a restaurant. And each episode of each television show it's like a Netflix is only, but it's different than a Netflix because it's only seven to 10 minutes long, right? Or a Quibi as or, they call or, it. Right. Or a Quibi as they call it. It was started by Jeffrey Katzenberg, the former head of Disney animation back when they were really doing amazing things. And then he went on and started DreamWorks, right? Did that, started some really amazing movies like Shrek, sold that off to Universal and Comcast and then he went on and started this service, raised $1.75 billion, and hired Meg Whitman, the former CEO of eBay and HP, to now be the CEO of Quibi. So a lot of money, a lot of fanfare, uh, original shows with people like Chrissy Teigen. They brought back shows like Punked from MTV back in the 90s. Um, so a lot of just hype here, a lot of hype. And the promise was, we're going to reinvent mobile content. Content wasn't made for mobile. We're going to make mobile-made content by making short-form content that fits in your pocket. I thought it was going to be great because I'm a huge Jeffrey Katzenberg fan, and it sucked. And it sucked. It sucked. It sucked. It sucked. It sucked. It sucked. There was never anything about Quibi that made sense to me. Um, seven to ten minute, that belongs on YouTube. Put it on YouTube. Have great, great, great YouTube videos. Um, don't try to make an entire mobile app out of it. And then secondly, don't try to get people to subscribe to it, especially having a subscription with ads. What are you trying to do? How far are you trying to squeeze your customer? It was ridiculous. And by the way, now I've downloaded it. I wanted to give it a shot. I really, 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 I, I wanted to be wrong because I hate the idea that $1.8 billion just went into something and it could be this bad. So I really, really, really wanted to be wrong. I watched a few Quibbies today. I did got you? the free trial. Did you, did you watch yes. some Quibbies? You did. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. I, I, I watched uh, I watched Punked. Okay. I watched Chrissy's Court. Okay. I watched, I watched some of them. And it's just, uh, I really wanted to be wrong and I'm sorry, but I just wasn't Quibby sucked you know what the problem is what the promise was that the content was supposed to be higher quality like that was the promise the promise was you're going to get better quality content in short form you can't get that anywhere else 
can't get that on YouTube. The problem is content wasn't that much better than YouTube. It was maybe marginally better than YouTube. So I'm going to pay $10 a month for something that's marginal or $8 a month that's marginally better than YouTube. The content's not good. And then some of the content's not good. Chrissy's Court, horrible. I Horrible, 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 horrible. It was really bad. (laughs) No, it was really bad. It was like cringy bad. And then there was another show, uh, Manhunter or The Hunt, Manhunter with uh, Liam Hemsworth and some other guy. It was that guy, the, the villain from James Bond. I forgot his name, but horrible. I mean, the acting was so bad, so bad. It was like they knew. It's almost as if they thought that Quibi wasn't going to be a good app, that that just wasn't going to work out. And it's like, well, I guess they're paying us a lot of money, so I'm just going to yeah. be in this thing, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna act in it. And and they launched during quarantine time, yep. right? Which yep. you could say is a good thing, right? It's content. People are sitting on their couches watching TV. Problem is, they didn't launch an Apple TV app. They didn't launch an internet app internet connected tv app it's only on your phone they don't even have an ipad app the point is you're supposed to use it in the car going somewhere in an uber or when you're waiting for your restaurant table but you can't do either of those things right now so maybe they should have pivoted their business model a little bit and launched with a tv app i don't know i'm upset about it they can't pivot their they can't pivot their business model before you launch that's also why you don't raise 1.8 billion dollars before you launch Who'd they get investors from? Who were their investors again? Yeah, so that's, that, that was the thing, right? I, I was like, how the hell could these guys have raised $1.8 billion on this? Like, what, how did people put this much money into this? I get that the executive team is amazing, but are they $1.8 billion pre-launch amazing? I never heard of that. But then I looked into the investors. Some of their investors are like 21st Century Fox, Warner Brothers, Time Warner, Walt Disney, Sony Pictures, and Viacom, MGM, all these big studios, and production companies put money in. And the reason I think they did that, honestly, is because I think that they all felt the burn from missing out on streaming when Netflix first hit the market. So they were all like, okay, we, we don't want to play catch up again on whatever the new medium is going to be to get, you know, the, the new streaming medium is going to be to move content online. So we may as well invest into this kind of experimental They didn't want to uh, miss the medium. boat. Yeah, they didn't want to miss the boat. Which yeah. I don't blame them. I guess, I guess it's just there has to be a better way to do it than to raise $1.8 billion on it. Um, now that I've used Quibi, um, I think that they're double, triple, quadruple fucked. What I saw here was exactly where YouTube can go next. If this becomes amazing, another thing that YouTube can do, if they're just like, yeah, this is picking up steam, this is pretty interesting and formidable, is we could just let content creators subscribe directly to them. And subscribe directly to content creators, and they could be collecting subscription revenue on a bunch of different, on a bunch of different creators, and all the incentive to want to create great content, like to create great content, would move straight to YouTube because there it's more direct. I think YouTube, I think YouTube should invest more money in quality content. I, I think their YouTube original series are good, but I think they could be better. That's one, and two. I just thought about this, but if you look at where Quibi sits, okay. Mm-hmm. Not even on like a Netflix and then YouTube scale. If you compare YouTube to Snapchat for a second, and then okay. you look at, so, so look at, you have YouTube on one side, very creator driven. Um, you're mostly watching on your phone, but you know, the length can be anywhere from two minutes to 25 minutes if you wanted it to be. 
Um, and then you have Snapchat on the other side, which was meant for your phone to be vertical. I'm talking about Snapchat's original originals mm-hmm. and like their magazines. To me, I've seen Snapchat's original series. They're not much. Quibi's content is not much better than Snap's original series. So on one end, you've got Snap's original series, which are just okay. So Quibi, mm. Quibi is a little bit better than that. But then you got YouTube on the other side, and Quibi's not much better than YouTube's content. And then there's no problem with YouTube, and there's no problem with Snapchat. So you've got a, a new service that's trying to fit into this really slim little hole. Yeah. But most of all, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if the content was good, if the content was great, like if you put it on and like, oh, this is great. Like this show is great. I love that actor. What a great storyline. That's so interesting. That's great. If they had all those pieces, like, you know, content is king, as right. they say, then I think they'd have a chance. But the content isn't good. So you're trying to reinvent the medium, but your content isn't good. It, it it doesn't make sense. It is it is Salah's fully shrugged shoulders right now and confused I'm, about I'm the upset. content. I'm upset. Yeah, Jeffrey Katzenberg, if you're listening to this, call me. Call me. I want to talk about this. <laughs> I want to talk about this because because you're a smart guy. You've done you've done some pretty incredible things. You made a lot of money. What's Why wrong? Why the hell did you? It's actually interesting. I like I like what you're saying because uh, I, I I think that like maybe the mistake I've been making because you have to subscribe to it is like I've been trying to compare them to a Netflix. Either way, like you just said, it still sucks. And by the way, if they want to go that route, YouTube again could still kick ass because YouTube has more content creators than anybody in the world. All they sure. have to do is empower their content creators just a little bit more, and it's really 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 game over. I don't see a reason why punked. Right with chance, I don't see a reason why that had to be on Quibi. Honestly, look, I mean, bottom line, there's there's nothing here that impresses me about Quibi. No. There's nothing here that makes me feel like Quibi is gonna make it. Um, look, good for all those huge media companies for giving it their best shot and trying to find a new medium. I get the fear that put them behind that put them into it. They had a great team too. You had the tech and you had the content. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Everything on paper looked like it was going to be great. And then you get it and it sucks. Where do you think media is going to go now? Is it just going to be, you'll have your YouTube? I don't think it was in the wrong direction. I don't think it was going in the wrong direction at all. Like I agree. You had great content coming out because all these companies had better data now on their viewers than Nielsen was ever able to give them. And they're spending more than ever before. More people are getting in the game like Apple. Apple didn't make content before. Now they're in the same place as Disney and... and um, NBC Universal and Netflix and Amazon. Yeah, so I don't really think that media was like I don't think it was broken. I don't I really don't. So I really don't understand like the the thesis behind Quibi. I don't understand why it needed to exist, why the timing made sense. I don't understand any of it. And I'm not impressed once I used it. I agree. If Jeffrey Katzenberg is listening to this, my friend Jeffrey. My 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 dearest friend Jeffrey. Jeff, Jeffy Jeffy Jeff, J Man. J Man. You made your, you you became famous, and you made all your money on making great content, great movies, great content, and putting great people, great creators together. I don't know what happened here, and I'm not going to say it's your fault. It's not your fault. Maybe it's your fault. But what what's important is that you can still save this platform. Just make great content. Go back and go back inside. 
go go find that place that that made Shrek and all those hit DreamWorks and Disney movies, and just apply it to Quibi. If you can make great content on Quibi, I still think it could be saved. Maybe. Look, they got 90 days before my free trial runs out. So if they happen to put it together in the next 90 days and they fix everything about them, you know, before before the end of June, uh, sure, great. You heard it. You heard it right there. You heard right it here, there. guys. If you really just upend the entire business, turn everything around from a market positioning perspective, from a content perspective, then you might be able to get $4.99 a month out of me. Maybe. You'll, 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 you'll keep Robert as a customer. Maybe. Maybe. All right, anyways, now let's go talk to some friends. Okay, let's talk to some friends. Okay, and now we're going to talk to Marcus Stroud. Marcus is, the, is a founding partner at TXV, which is a venture fund based in Austin and Dallas with a presence in San Francisco. Um, he leads their health, wellness, and fitness investments um, and some of their B2B enterprise investments. Um, so he's going to talk to us about what he's up to, what his companies are up to, and um, just how he's dealing with this whole thing. Bring him in. Marcus, what's going on? Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? We're just we're just trying to hang in, you know. How you, how you dealing with this whole thing? You know, unlike a lot of people, I mean, this really really sucks. Obviously, like it, it's terrible to turn on the news and you see so many people dying, you see so many people misplaced from work, you see just so many just awful things, and you know we personally been affecting that. Some of my team and myself, we've had family members that passed away from this. But also, Ugh. on the bright side of things, it's been cool to relax. It's been cool to, not necessarily relax, but be able to kind of, you know, thrive in your own environment. And it's just been good to kind of regroup and catch up with a lot of a lot of old friends and, and family that I've used kind of as an excuse to like just just talk and catch up. And so it's been good, man. It's been it's been really good. You uh, recently made an investment into Future Fit. Uh, at home yeah. fitness company. Uh, can you talk a little bit about kind of how they've been responding to this, how things have been looking for a company like that? Yeah. So I think one thing that this pandemic has shown us is that your health and your wellness is so important. And regardless of what's going on in the world, that's always going to be a center focus in someone's life, in most people's life, not everybody, but in most people's life. How well am I living? How well am I eating? What, how can I measure my health? And so Future does an incredible job of answering kind of all three of those questions. Uh, and so in terms of how they responded to this pandemic, you know, as you can imagine, they've exploded. You know, they've seen an increase of, of 10x in sales. They've seen an increase of roughly 500% in web traffic just because, you know, people are bored right now. People are trying to find ways to stay healthy and active, to stay sane. And so Future, like a lot of, other, like a lot of their competitors, have just found like a completely new audience. And so it's been crazy and awesome to see how much they've grown, how much people are loving the product and how much people are, you know, feeling, feeling like they're able to stay sane because they have, you know, a, a training app that holds you accountable. And so they've done really well as a result of kind of everything that's going on. Love that. Love that. And then as a firm, right, as TXV, yeah. How are you guys responding to this? Are you guys still actively making new investments, sourcing new deals? Or are you reserving capital for your existing portfolio companies? Yeah, I mean, we're opportunistic, man. So we're looking at, we're still looking at deals. We're still looking at, you know, the first priority for us is our portfolio companies. How can we support them? How can we aid them? You know, if there's a capital need, how can we kind of help fill in the gap? Uh, but also, 
you know, I feel like there's always a ton of opportunity at the bottom of the market. If this is the bottom of the market that people are claiming. And so you look at, and you have so many venture investors and people in general who point to the financial crisis and companies like WhatsApp and, you know, Instagram and Zoom and, 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 and Uber, you know, that came out of that, you know, and I, I feel like you're going to see a lot of those type companies that come out of this, that, that focus on making re- remote work more efficient, that focus on making your health and wellness more of a priority uh, virtually. And so I think for us, we're, we are still actively fundraising, like investing, we're still actively sourcing and we're still actively, you know, monitoring our portfolio companies. Cool. And um, I, our last question, and, and I just need you to settle a debate for us real quick. Um, are you, yeah. how, how are your eating habits? Are you eating, are you eating like crap? Are you eating extra healthy? I mean, I know you do, I know you're in charge of health and wellness, but you can be honest, it's a safe space. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, man, it's dangerous living in Austin, Texas. I tell you, this is the taco <laughs> capital of the world. This is taco capital of the world. So unfortunately I've had my fair share of tacos these last two weeks, but I've also cooked more meals in the last, you know, two, three weeks than I have in the last like three, four months. And so I think it's been a 50, 50, like I'm definitely still the same kid who's eating way too many tacos and guacamole on Saturday and Sunday, but nice. uh, I'm Love also it. eating some really good food during the week. So it's been, it's been hit or miss, man. Nice. Love it. Nice. Okay, cool. All right, man. Thank you for calling in and we will catch up soon. Sounds good, man. Have a good one. Thanks guys. Yep. Bye. All right, cool. We'll talk to you later. Cool Good one. guy. Very I cool. Just tell. I love Marcus. All right. And now we're going to talk to Oliver Diabo-Hurwitz. Oliver is the head of Logos News, a new news company that you're going to start to see a lot more of coming up pretty soon. Um, whole focus of their company is trying to strip news of bias. I think something that we could all use right now in the age of misinformation, disinformation, and all of that. That's a great idea. Uh, Great idea and even even greater guy. Uh, anyways, let's bring him onto the line. Yeah. Oliver. Hey, what's up, guys? Do you want me hey. to turn on my video? What? No, you, you, don't, you don't have to. I mean, you, you can. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a podcast, you know? So, Oliver, we want to talk a little bit about Logos. Uh, how have you guys been managing operationally through this? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, just for listeners. So yeah, my company, uh, we're basically a marketplace for uh, news providers and news consumers. So basically all the journalists on the platform uh, have reputations which uh, consumers can basically interact with and um, actually vote on. So you can you know endorse journalists for subjects they write in. You can rate the bias of content you're interacting with. So the actual articles and whatnot. And the business model is like Twitch insofar as these journalists can actually um, convert their readers and their audience into paid subscribers for their content monthly. Um, in terms of, yeah, I mean, I've been, as I just kind of said, I've been running my company remotely since before the summer of 2019. So honestly, it hasn't really changed much. Um, some of my people who have been working for me obviously have been affected by it, but nothing too serious. But one thing I have noticed is, um, I've kind of used it as an opportunity to learn from the best. So, I mean, to my understanding, at least from Silicon Valley, the big boys are like GitLab and Stripe. Um, 
Stripe, I don't think is 100% remote, but at least all of their development teams are remote, whereas GitLab is 100% remote. Wow. So one of the things recently that I um, started taking is basically GitLab's remote playbook. I think they just released it to basically the whole world recently. So that's a really great resource. But, um, you know, one of the things with, with remote culture is, you know, how do you actually create a culture? And um, some of the things that I think that they've done that are great that we started doing is um, we basically almost have like a like mandatory debriefing after meetings. So we basically have like a permanent, like we, we don't use Zoom, we use Google Hangouts. Um, so we have like a permanent link to a video call that anybody can just jump into like before or after meetings. Um, Hmm. And people have actually started using it and I think it's really good. And one thing that GitLab does that we're, I'm going to start doing pretty soon is they also like basically encourage like team members to like do like virtual coffee chats. I know it sounds kind of weird, but I think it's kind of cool, you know, especially right now. Um, but yeah, yeah. Just to give you a quick answer on it. Yeah. And then um, kind of on the, uh, on the bias side of things. Right mm-hmm. now, there's a huge information vacuum when it comes to oh, information joke. about coronavirus. I mean, you have people saying like, you got to use hydroxychloroquine or whatever. Um, how are you dealing with that? I mean, you guys are getting more information than probably anybody right now. How are you guys sifting through the noise and how are you guys trying to figure out what is actually the right information to get to our readers at the right time? It's really difficult, right? Because, I mean, our company is... I mean, the name Logos, you know, there's many different uh, etymological interpretations of it. Um, If you look at our logo, it's basically, it's almost like the yin and yang. It's a black comment box and a white comment box um, overlapping. And so we really kind of have this idea of, you know, the platform is almost like a manifestation of like the dialectic. So we're, we're purely, we're not trying to position ourselves as the arbiter of truth, but rather just trying to create a platform that puts all sides or at least all viewpoints in one place so that the viewers really can make their, you know, best judgment of what they want to believe. So one thing, for example, it's interesting. There's been this one author on our platform. He, um, he kind of switches between writing about like political stuff versus biology because he has, he has a degree in biology, but he's also pretty interested in politics. So one of the features that we have um, on our product is before you actually read an article, you can basically see like what the, um, the relative like authority of the person is in the subject. So this guy, sometimes he writes political articles, sometimes he writes scientific articles. So recently when he's been writing the scientific articles, before you click on his article, you can see how many votes he has in, in biology rather than politics. So it's kind of interesting. Um, you'll see like a different reputation for each subject. Obviously our platform is like pretty young but that's kind of one of the things that we're going for, which is that we want to bas- basically be able to really carve out like an authority for each person's, uh, you know, reputation within certain domains. Settle a debate for us. Uh, closing question. Settle a debate for us. Um, yeah. Bait of the week. How are you eating? You eating healthier, less healthy now because of coronavirus? How are you handling your new dieting from home? Oh, man. I mean, I'm definitely eating more, which is good. Um, have so much food. More of the good um, stuff or the bad stuff? I'd say it's a balance, you know? Yeah. I'm just trying to make sure I have a little bit of weight on me. But I don't want to be too thin, you know, because if I get sick, I'm going to lose weight. So I almost feel like... <laughs> That's one way to look thing. at it. That's interesting. You know? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, I get this virus. I mean, I'm definitely going to lose some weight. So, but yeah, yeah, me too. That's why I'm doing it for sure. Eating decently well. <laughs> nice. Oh, okay, man. cool. All right, man. Thank you for calling in. No worries, guys. Enjoy. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, right, you cool. too. All right, we'll talk to you later. All right, and now we're talking to Steve Fletcher. Steve and his brother uh, run a private equity and real estate development firm. They're pretty well diversified between venture capital investments, so startups like uh, Keto, Future Fit, True Energy, and a bunch more, as well as a ton of real estate holdings and real estate development holdings. So let's get him on the line. Yep. Steve, how you doing? Rob, what's happening, guys? Hey, how's it going? You're on the line with me and Stahl. How are you guys? What's happening? We're, uh, we're trying to stay sane. <laughs> I hear you. And actually, as you say that, I am just walking along in New Orleans right now, actually, uh, just uh, trying to at least leave the house. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. What's, uh, what's the vibe like over there? It's pretty crazy to see New Orleans without a lot of people everywhere. I must say it's, it's pretty much a, a ghost to town right now. So, oh but in uh, terms of work stuff right now, um, on the real estate side right now, especially, um, they were actually deemed as essential labor. So we're actually uh, doing uh, construction right now, seven days a week. Um, so that's, I mean, I mean, as a whole is awesome, but of course, as you see for a city like New Orleans, uh, it's obviously driven around uh, travel as well as uh, tourism. It's absolutely uh, tough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. And uh, what's about, so how's your venture portfolio responding to this right now? We kind of see a out of opportunity now around real estate, actually. So I would say in terms of venture investments, we'll probably slow it down for the next uh, quarter or so. And so that being said, we're still just trying to maintain reserves and, and obviously I keep a cash on hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got one last question for you. Um, settle the debate for us. Are you eating, um, are you eating healthy or are you just stuffing your face with a lot of fat? <laughs> Well, it's pretty hard to eat healthy in Louisiana, but I would say I'm eating typically healthy <laughs> across the board, <laughs> I hope. We're at a point in which everyone's at home, and so everyone right now has opportunities to actually continually improve them, themselves, and so it's like I'm always out there working, re reading listening to everything that I can just because I see this now as an opportunity to actually prepare well and then after it's all over it's obviously like hit that ground running you know what I mean yeah 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 cool okay cool well thank you for calling in man uh and we'd love to have you back on the show sounds awesome guys take right, care wow. stay safe all right cool we'll talk you to you too, later. my man bye-bye all right bye all right those calls were great. Always great to have the phone calls. Always great. I, I really like this segment. We don't have a name for it yet, but we will. Um, but I think it's going to be a regular, regular thing on the show. And it's only going to get better. Maybe we'll require them to have a drink too. I don't know if that's going to work out. Anyway. That's not going to work. A lot of these be guys calling when they're driving. That's not going to work. No, that's definitely not going to work. Don't drink and drive. Uh, yep. We're going to talk to uh, Emil Davition right now. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> 
and we are back with Casual Pour. Today, we are sitting down with Emil Davidian. Emil, thank you for coming in today. Hey, fellas. How are you? Thanks for the invitation. Emil, what are you drinking? Oh, man. Uh, a bit of Glen Morangy. Yeah, fantastic, man. Sharing whiskey with you guys. Yeah. What are you drinking, so? I'm having the, uh, the Glen Roths Brothers scotch yeah it's a nice one isn't it it's a great it's great yeah, yeah. it's great i like it i like it without ice no ice. you're sticking with the japanese i am i'm sticking with the japanese i got my suntory again yeah nice that's his that's robert's new uh, my new favorite uh, new, new usual but i think that geofencing is something that a lot of people don't fully understand and so it would be really helpful is if you could just give a quick background on what is geofencing and how are people using it and how you're using it uh, of course of course and and thanks again for the invitation guys so we're we're a location services company in my company blue dot and, you know, before we even get into the tech, it's really all about the location itself. You know, how do we make a location mean something more to an individual that's experiencing it? And one of the things like that, you know, we live and breathe is that, you know, if you look at our company, people are all from every corner of the world, you know, migrants, refugees, people across Australia, the US that have mm-hmm. had their own personal journeys. And the thing that we find the most meaningful is that a whole bunch of random people have come together from every corner of the world. And you know what it's like is people on a journey, you know what a location means, you know what the power, we, we talk about it as the power of place at Blue Dot. Mm-hmm. It's like the same location can mean multiple things to people, you know? And- What do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, I, I always use like the, imagine like uh, the, one of the nicer restaurants you've been to in the past year. Okay. Right? Is that, that same restaurant, you could sit at the very same table Right? And it has completely different meaning. So for you, it could have been the first time that you've eaten there. It was a good experience, maybe even transactional. It doesn't really matter. For the person before you, they may have proposed to their husband or wife. The person before that could have uh, signed the biggest deal that they've ever sure. done, right? So the very same location means these different things. And all of a sudden at Blue Dot, we had all of these random people that had nothing to do with each other, but knew intrinsic- intrinsically what the power of place was come together to create software and technology that enhances the power of place for individuals. And so what we've created to answer your question is software that integrates on mobile. Like you've ever had like every location-based app that you've had, but we just do a really exciting version of that, that understands when an individual has arrived at a location and can do something really special on their phone, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so using that software to add something to bring people together and we're purely B2B, it's enterprise software. We integrate into the app and help deliver a special experience or transaction when someone arrives at a location. So yeah. you'll partner with say Dunkin' Donuts and if I pass by Dunkin' Donuts, I get a notification. Oh, by the way, thank you for coming by again. Here's a perk. Well, that's where the industry started. Um, and then that's cool. Like we can, we can do, do that as well, but we were doing some- we'd, And Emil's we'd like, we pretty, do that in our sleep at this point. We've been doing yeah. some pretty cutting edge stuff. Like, so where we, where we started was, um, you know, we're in New York now, right? So easy pass, mm-hmm. right? You drive through a toll road, every pain in everyone's yeah. ass, right? Um, and, you know, you've got this clunky in-car device, you've got the infrastructure, all of that. When we started the startup, like, whether it was a good idea or not, we said, hey, like, why is this even happening like this? So we started in Australia um, and, and we've got the same toll roads, same as Easy Pass over there. And we're like, well, what is this? Like, why, why do we even have this? What do you guys call it out there? Yeah, yeah, toll roads. In Florida, I think they call Oh, no, in Atlanta, they call it Peach Pass. Yeah, that peach sucks. Peach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That sucks. Yeah, that's, that's a terrible bad, yeah. one. 
Yeah. Anyways, go on. No, no, no. That's great. Uh, <laughs> the, the peach pass is is uh, <laughs> is an interesting one, right? And so we were like, okay, why why doesn't your phone just handle like understand where you are and and take care right. of that, right? And so then we started. We joined an accelerator. We started building. We thought we thought we were going to build the app, right? Like build a consumer facing app. We're like, how do you even work out where someone's phone is in a car that's moving 100 miles an hour potentially down to a lane of a road? The person can't even touch their phone. You got to yeah. do the payments. And it was even so much more complicated than we thought. And so we had to do years of R&D and all that. And literally, it's all across Australia already, but literally this week is perfect timing. Um, it's been launched on Easy Pass in Virginia, DC. It's like wow. you can down, download our clients. Oh, congratulations, yeah, man. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So simply put, I could walk into, I could be driving on the highway yeah. and- Right now, I have to stop at the Easy Pass, and then if I'm if I don't have my Easy Pass on me, I pay the toll with cash. If I have the Easy Pass on me, I stop. It lifts the gate, and I keep going. With Blue Dot, it's yeah, I have I am just driving, and it knows. Okay, that's like the actual point on the GPS and on the map where this person gets charged, and anyone who passes point X on the map gets charged. You know, fifteen dollars, yeah, whatever that, the toll. That's is. exactly right. You don't even stop. Uh, nothing like that. I don't so, even know what's happening. No, basically. exactly, exactly. And but then like if we kind of zoom out from that a little bit, right? For you know what what is the location itself, right? So think about it. Imagine identifying any place in the world, your wingspan. You know, draw a virtual line on a map anywhere in the world. As soon as somebody crosses over, they could be walking, they could be driving, and you understand where they are, and you're delivering delivering something that matters to them then and there. So by 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 my wingspan, you're saying that you can draw basically like a six foot line anywhere in the universe digitally and if anyone crosses that point in the digital universe that you've created this line on it will trigger an action exactly Spot on. Yeah, 100%. i want to drive home the point of the potential here of geofencing because one of the things that really attracted me to what you were doing is people have either no idea what geofencing is yeah. or they have a very specific use case in mind i mean people have heard it in the context of politics and that has its own privacy yeah. concerns and things like that i was wondering if you could talk to me about how geofencing is being used for good how it's being used in general and how this is going to shape the future. Uh, absolutely. Do you just so, fucking touch the microphone? I, I did, but I, I saw the looks wow. across the room. I wasn't, is that, is that, <laughs> well, how does that affect the easy, sound man. quality? Like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay, no, but tell us. Yeah, you know I'm getting passionate if I'm grabbing the <laughs> mic. Right? Like, yeah. so, uh, so, so geofencing, separate to our company, just the geofencing is a, a technology. It's a, it's a thing out there. It's one of the ways that you can manage or, or implement location services, right? If you look at Google Maps, and if you looked at it on your laptop or your desktop, this is easier to visualize. So imagine any location. It could be a restaurant, a sports stadium, an airport, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, anywhere in the world. And you draw a virtual perimeter, a zone, right? It could be a circle, a rectangle, it could be polygon, whatever it is, right? It is a physical space that doesn't, there's no hardware anywhere, it's just mobile, right? right? But it's, it's, a, it's a place that you've defined on the map. And then when somebody walks through with their mobile, mobile phone, you detect the location and you understand where they've entered that place, that geofence, the, the space is the geofence, and then you can do something in that phone. Right. You can play a video, charge a payment, collect data, deliver an ad, whatever it is. It, matter, it doesn't matter. It's a phone, right? It's software. And so the geofence is the space. And the challenging part is understanding when someone's arrived. Where did you come up with the idea... What was that process like? And then I also want to know, follow-up question, picking the right co-founder. Yeah. Because they say you spend more time with your co-founder than your significant other. 
and you really need to you need to pick the right person yeah so yeah what's the dynamic there yeah 100 percent. so like well on that one like he picked me man i picked, oh, picked wow. each other no not in not in that way but right. like we were friends already right Great. like so so I was uh, like flying back to, so we started the company in Australia, right? You were close friends? Or yeah, yeah, best okay. friends, best friends, right? So we we're part of the same group, right? And like we picked each other, he didn't pick me, but like I flew back for, um, uh, in Australia, we've got Boxing Day. So any, you know, the day after Christmas, that's like the best public holiday because, you know, you just all catch up with your friends. Interesting. Right? Huh. And, it's like and, the Super Bowl for us, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, the less less chicken wings than a hundred. Like, oh yeah, for sure. That's great, for, for sure. Um, the so we um, so I flew back. I spent Christmas in my city in Australia called Adelaide. Right, mm-hmm. it's like southern city, like a, a wine region in in Australia. And on Boxing Day, literally caught Boxing Day, literally caught up at a pub. We were having a beer, and I was like, "What are you up to?" Etc. And he's like, "Got this great idea. You're gonna like." drive through a toll road, your phone just understands that it pays for it, all of that, right? And he was like so excited and he's such a, such a sharp guy, right? Like almost all of the IP comes from him. He just like the way his mind works is, is amazing, right? And, and, and like I was, I was looking for a change as well. I was like trying to work out exactly what I do next then. And there is such a big element of randomness and naivety and inexperience yeah. and all that's huge, oh, yeah. like huge, huge, huge. Right? And we just dived headfirst into creating like never before existed technology for a toll road. You didn't find industry. that daunting, like how? What if it takes you know five, six years? And we we thought it'd be quicker. Got we it. We thought it'd be easier. Right. We didn't understand the dimensions of the problem. Sure. We didn't really understand product. We didn't really understand the the nuances of product strategy or management or enterprise sales. We, we literally created, boys, 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 we literally created an R&D company. Neither of us are software developers, created an R&D company to create- None of you are software developers? No, 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 no. Oh, that, I did <laughs> not know that. Yeah. I didn't know so, that. Okay, so we're, we're tapping into like geospatial, like- You're just really that sick of fucking tolls? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's like- Man, if I go to pay one more fine, like, uh, yeah, like I'll, 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 I'll lose my shit. <laughs> 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 right, right. So, like, tapping into literally GPS, like, into satellites, right? It's geospatial, right? We have seven patents. This is really fundamental Intel chip analogy type technology that's on the device, right? Seven patents, fully granted, US, Europe, et cetera. Like, high-speed transport with payments. Never created a software. Like, it was but nonsense. how did you know? Like, if you, you, had to, you, you obviously had to hire <laughs> yeah. a programmer. How yeah. did you know what to tell him? Well, the, my co-founder is very technical and very sharp. Oh. He's just not an engineer. And, like, right? knows enough to be dangerous. And- well, that was the part of the success, right? Part of the, the, the thing, right? Where it was like, he was not formally trained, so he didn't have the same restrictions that training gives mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And he would just be creative. And I worked in technology. He worked in tech, et cetera, right? Like, I'll, I'll go head to head with the... You know, with engineers and all that, right? It's, it's you ever that company, think, man. You got to be fluent in it, right? And he was just sharp. Do you, ever, problems. do you ever think because uh, when you you're going to start a company, the big deal? Um, do you ever think it's not the right thing to do to partner with a friend? Because because I, yeah, me and Robert in the we've past. Had, this is I know this. Is what I was gonna say yeah. <laughs> we've had so many uh, quote unquote opportunities to work together on things, and it was always like you know we just. Well, we, well, well, we may have a problem if we, we work on a company together, so it's <laughs> yeah. not going to work out. So what are your thoughts on that? 
it's very easy to hang out with someone and have a beer. It's another thing to go through the biggest ups and downs of your life oh, yeah. together and get through even stronger on the other side. And, and my, my co-founder, Philip, Philip Eldridge, right? man, the guy is amazing. The like, natural generosity that the guy has. Wow. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Right? And so I've learned a lot from him and you kind of just ride with it. And then over, over so many years, right? Like, man, I have my downs. He has his ups. I, he has his downs, et cetera. And you all chip in and you get through and it. And you balance each other out, basically. 100%. That's the key. Yeah, yeah. My, That's um, the key. my yeah. father was actually saying that because um, a close friend of his started a business with his wife, right? And it was, he asked, like, how, how have you managed this to date? And he said, there's been points in my life where I have thought this company was going to fail. There have been points in my wife's life where she thought this company was going to fail. But fortunately, those two things never happened at the same time. Yeah, that's so true. And, and you know that's not a coincidence, right? Where you get through challenge after challenge after challenge in chronological order, right? What is that, just some random, you know, strike of, of fate? Like, no, of course not, right? It's because one person holds out physically and mentally and emotionally yes. to get the other person through. And then the other person takes their turn. And does it. That's and does so it, and well does said. It, right? That's so well That's said. That's what it's not. It's not an, an accident that like you just happen to take turns. Right? So <laughs> right. takes the lead yeah. on tackling and, the problem you're yeah. saying. And so the thing I learned from Phil, right, is that right, when you're whenever you have that deliberation with a partner or a founder, right, you'll know in your heart of hearts, right, when it's not working or when it's working. So absent that, like before that point, right? approach it with generosity right like it's just like hey err on the side of it just give and give and give mm. it'll work out and when it doesn't work out it's not working out because not because you did one thing or another it's just because it wasn't meant to work out right, right. ultimately well so, said yeah well said. yeah and so so the thing is that like but your your question was how do you find a partner in general but there's there's many elements to that right like first of all not every this isn't about Phil and I, but just in general, we've had a lot of interactions with partners, founders, etc. right? And not everything needs to be done in the first conversation, in the first month, yes. in the first six months, right? Understand the true meaning of time, right? Understand what timing means in everything, in life, in a negotiation, in a partnership, in a relationship, right? Right? That is what so much of life is driven by, right? In a really important emotional, personal sense, right? And so when you're not sure, that's cool. The other person's probably not sure. So take your time, you know? So I want to switch gears of course. for a second. You were once a startup. I wouldn't, probably wouldn't consider you guys a startup because you're seven years, right? Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> Thanks At, for bringing that up. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good, I told, you, I told you beforehand, like, <laughs> yeah. is a good red line. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like growing up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But what, um, when you're starting a startup, there's a certain mindset. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like raise money and survive, and then at what point, what year, I guess, did that mindset switch to like, oh, we're good, but now we just have to focus on growth, yeah. and that's a, that's a mindset switch. Or you know has that mindset ever mindset ever even really shifted? No, that's you're absolutely right. Like it's good shifted, question. Yeah. It, it's um, shifted multiple times necessarily, right? And you're absolutely right. It is a mindset. It's a deliberate thing. So I'll give you a specific example. We, it's not a time thing because every, sometimes you create something and it just, the product market fit is there and it just skyrockets in, in a year or two. Other times it takes longer, whatever it is, right? It's not a necessarily about time. It's about stage, experience, opportunity, all those things, right? And so one of the things that 
recently we went through, right? You know, we've come from a, a deep R&D takes a lot of product development. Then you find your place in the market. The market matures. We've expanded to the US, find our feet in the US, even understand what's what the name of the companies we're trying to sell to are, let alone, you know, how the market works. All those things take time. But then this, uh, the thing about a founder or a leader in general, right, is that how do you take the emotional pain that you experience? How do mm-hmm. you take that vulnerability, the, the things that we all go through, right, and then transform that to help the team have some cover, yeah. have an umbrella to do their own thing, right, and to go through their own process, right? And one of the things that I said last year to, to our team is that we've got to move out of a survival mindset to a growth mindset. Right? This, was, this was last year. L- last year. Yeah. Right? And it's not that we weren't growing before that or that we didn't go through the change, but you have legacy, right? You have baggage. You have things that build up that are, you can see it in the way people talk or the way they think through problems. If you approach the problem, this, this hypothetical problem today about who to sell to, how to sell, what product to develop, whatever, and you approach it today without any baggage, just the circumstances, would your answer be the same as you're telling me right now? With all the baggage uh, that you have, right? so you really had to get the team focused, yeah, way more focused than survival mode. To who are we, and why are we going to be here for the long? Be run? ambitious, be creative. Yeah, it also, let yeah, go generally of your feels eye, more like optimistic. Being, yeah, yeah, right. If you approach, if a stranger approached them with these same circumstances, and they didn't go through the painful enterprise sales process that took forever and didn't pan out, right, and they didn't have this kind of like scar tissue—that's what I've been calling it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Would you be? Would your projections be X or would they be three times higher? They'd probably right. be three times higher. So aim for three times higher, maybe four times or five times higher, right? And so bringing that up emotionally, mentally, right? And like getting rid of all that baggage, that, that's what it's about. Interesting. Right? And that's what And that about. you're saying is, is that a better mindset than the startup mindset? Is that a- No, that's, that's fundamental to the startup mindset. Got because it. how can you go from zero to- the ambitious endpoint that you want without going through many, 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 many stages, right? right? That you have to fundamentally like restructure the company, restructure my own role as a CEO, as a founder, everybody's role, right? It's a constant restructuring. Elevate, 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 elevate. elevate. Not restructure, elevate. I say that all the time. Yeah. Is the, are the ideas that you're applying, your thought process, is that ready for the next stage or is it six Mm -hmm. months ago? Yeah, that's that's what it's about. So, I think there's this, there's this kind of assumption where you're either a startup, you're either a startup, young company, or you know five guys in a co-working space or in a garage, and then something, 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 something. I have a thousand employees. You have what thirty two employees right now? Yeah, and hiring to get to forty. Yeah, exactly. Hiring to get to forty. You're in that middle zone where I think most startups spend, most companies in general spend most of their time. Yeah. Your company is now officially, let's call it an adult company. Yeah. It has grown up. Yeah. How do you, one, how has your relationship with your company changed? How has your relationship with your team changed? And then three, how is you as CEO, how has your mindset shifted? Is there a world where you're saying, I'm going to take these 40 maximized profits? Or is there a world where it's, I'm growing to a thousand one day and we're going to huge new markets? What are the questions you're asking yourself? Yeah. Um, and all, all three of those are the same question, right? Okay. Ultimately, right? Like it's, <laughs> It's, you know, one of the biggest things for me, because I'm like first time founder, I'm learning on the job, like everybody else in my team. And just acknowledging that is is really important for myself and for the team, right? And so like the the thing is, right, 
how do you reinvent your own leadership and your own sense of leadership? So I, I had this this picture of um, a CEO of a leader as like this lion that is out in front that shields everybody from the negative experiences, from the risk, from the bad news. It's like remind me to tell you about my launch party. Afterwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that the inspiration for Fire Festival is that? Like <laughs> I, I hope not. No, it's a long story. One of my interns got punched in the face. It was a whole thing yeah, yeah. by this like drunk guy on oh. solo. It was a whole conversation. Oh, man, I can't, I can't wait! That. Can't wait! Yeah. Like, it's, it's brilliant, right? And 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 so like, how do you like just even for myself, man? Like, I want to work on interesting things. I want to have like this growth myself, right? I'm seven years in, right? And so how do I motivate myself and energize myself in a, in a way? And I found like, okay, first thing is, right, am I giving myself some physical space and time to be creative, right? Like literally getting out into, when like I'm, I'm not from the US, right? So I travel everywhere that I can, right? Go into like Sedona and Arizona and get in like the cliffs, all of that stuff, right? And just read and write and think, right? As an American, I've never been to you haven't? where yeah, the you're fuck in that New was York, in man, Arizona. it's its own planet, I, yeah. right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's great. Right. And so that, that's an element, right? And then as soon as you get there, within like, you can spend one day there, right? And the ideas just flow, right? You listen to two podcasts and read a book and the ideas flow and right. you just start writing. And you go back there and it's like, and that's the real energy, right? And then you go, okay, I can't just be day to day tactical stuff, right? Like you would normally, right? You mm -hmm. still do it when you need to, but that's part time, right? So then it becomes about, okay. Uh, for us, right, I'll, I'll give you a specific example. So 40 people, right? Half of our team are engineers, predominantly half are non-engineers. Plus, we've got geography that matters. So most of the engineers are in Australia, separated from our customers in the US, right? And then even our team in the US is spread out all across the country, right? So, yeah. Am I giving people something to connect with, right? Are they working to the same game plan, right? Am I sharing enough about myself, right? And so I used to be all locked up and be like worried about, hey, expressing risk and like where the company's at. You think people don't see that? You're saying be open with Man, the people you work if, with. If you're in a 10-person company, 20, 40, 50, 100, you see almost everything. Yes. Right? So you is might as well be open about it. Man, you think yeah. like, what? Well, like just because I don't want, I want to shield people from, they don't see the good and bad. Right. It's, they didn't see the deal going through, right? They didn't see, see the person that left the company or the whatever the problem, right? Yep. And so I've gone completely the other way the last few years, completely, right? Transparency is, is the thing because that is about trust, right? That's about resilience, right? When they see the 10 other dots in the 10 other data points about a customer and the customer goes south, right? Well, it's not a shock. And plus, hey, everybody better get their act together. Yeah. Because fuck. Like, and they feel a sense of ownership yeah, too. Yeah, man. Right? Everyone's yeah. in the trenches together. Yeah. Right? That's great. Yeah. And that's what it's about. That's actually really important. And I think a lot of founders should hear that because I remember one thing that was really um, my mindset early on when I started 1H was I have to have all the answers. I'm the CEO. I have to know everything. I have to know everything, not only for my team, but for my investors, for everyone. I am the man with the plan and you should be looking at me as the man with the answers because that's my role here and that's what justifies my position. Yeah. What ended up happening is I didn't have a lot of answers and I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that a lot of founders really need to understand that your job is not to be the person with the plan. Your, pro your job is to be the person that oversees 
the company that puts together the plan and yes. executes yeah, it. Yeah, synthesizes yeah. the ideas. Exactly. You know, like that's that's it. That that gives that like the directionality that the ideas flow towards, and then you kind of learn and synthesize and all of that, right? I, I went through. That's like one of the biggest things that I've learned completely. I went like 180 degrees on it, right? And the the thing is that all of this is made up. You think there's any startup? Like, what what are we even talking about? Like the whole industry is made up, the startups are made up, the software is made up, this is all, like none of it needs to exist. And in it, if it exists, it's our own ideas and execution. Yep. And we can create it exactly how we want. Forget every rule we've ever learned in every shitty corporate gig that we've had, <laughs> in every boring bureaucratic yeah. meeting we've had. Why? Like we've got a problem. Is the problem even real? Do we even care about this problem? And then when we're solving it, maybe we should be creative. Right. right. And so if that's the case, then what are we arguing about what am i being possessive about and what Nothing. plan do i have to have yeah let <laughs> it go like, fuck. and let go of a bit of ego as well man shit yeah man. <laughs> maybe yeah. the intern does have a better idea yeah. <laughs> like, <you> know, like, <laughs> ego no ego ego can kill yeah yeah, yeah it's I mean, bullshit it anyway, interns by the way have some of the best ideas yeah because they're just in it enough to know what's going on but come with like a weird combination of youth and experience that I think a lot of people don't value. Well, zero scar tissue as well, yeah. right? And All then optimism. we, yeah. And for us, it's not a, intern is not a, an entry level gig for us, right? Like it is, you're coming as a migrant, a refugee, someone in your stage of life, whatever that experience is, right? We've had interns of all ages, right? That have been with us for years. And it's like, man, that's just, we just found you that way. Right. right? Like we just connected that way, right? You're more than welcome. And if you're a contractor or an intern, or a part-timer or whatever your case may be, right? You are a fully fledged part of our team, right? right. Like, that's, that's great. Like, it's just a stage yeah. of time, right? Like, yeah. That's, that's I it. always say, I always said that companies should treat their interns like, not only like regular employees, but they should take their advice and suggestions to heart. And if you give them that autonomy, they'll pay you back in spades because they just want to, they just want to prove that, that they can make things happen. Yeah, but, but the entire, like, I agree with you, of course, yeah. you know, wholeheartedly, but the entire premise of this part of the conversation is bullshit anyway, right? Like, <laughs> like you think, like, what ideas are generated because of seniority or because you've spent six months more in a place or no, who gives a, gives a shit about that? Right. Uh, like, great ideas, a great idea. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we got our last question. Yeah, already. And we asked this question to all our guests to close out the show, to close out. Yeah, no yeah. warning. Yeah, we, we just, we just go right at it. But um, the question is, is entrepreneurship born or made? It's, I reluctantly say made because I love to say born because, you know, that just it's so it much resonates right. so much with me. Like, you know, like I, I like uh, learned and experienced and matured as an entrepreneur in my family as an experience, you know, all of that, right? And I love to say that it's, it's born, but it's definitely made, right? Like, and, and 90 plus percent of the skills and the instincts can be sharpened, right? Yeah. And it's just about, in the end, it, it's more about circumstance than birth, obviously, right? It's more about survival and necessity. Yes, necessity is the mother of invention. That's it, man. If you're comfortable, what's the entrepreneurship? It's a redundant. It's called management, right? Like, right. it's not entrepreneurship. Right. right? Like, and no one starts a new company to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, so when you need to do it, when you need to survive, when you need to grow and you want to challenge yourself, yeah. So it's definitely made. Interesting. 
Yeah. Emil, you are the man. Thank you again for coming in. P- pleasure, guys. So good sharing whiskey with you boys. Cheers. Excellent conversation. Cheers. Thanks. Let's do it do again. The, do Cheers. the clink. Do, do a nice clink. Do it like, yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers. Okay, we are back. That was Emil Davition. Um, great interview. We we did that um, a couple of weeks ago during a more, as Robert said earlier in the show, simpler time. We actually like we hung out with him for like an hour and a half after that, and we were just you know like real socializing, like in person socializing, not in a Zoom. So I kind of miss. That. I miss seeing people in person. But uh, all right, now let's talk about Zoom. Yes. So Zoom is being sued in a class action lawsuit, um, alleging I don't know if it's alleging, but that they shared a lot of data, a lot of customer data with Facebook. Um, I don't know if you know. Um, you know, Facebook really is super private with their information. And oh, for the sure. Fact that something <laughs> so like this could happen is, it's just, I'm just shocked that Mark Zuckerberg would, would do this. You know what would I mean? Would take our data without our permission? <gasps> I, I, I just can't believe he would he would do that. The, the, the company seems to me so guarded. They, they, they just don't care about your information. They just want to make the world more open and connected. I'm kidding, of course. Of course, they shared the information with Facebook, <laughs> of all the people, and now Zoom's getting sued for it, and the CEO readily is admitting that he screwed up here, especially, especially during this time when everyone, I mean, everyone is using Zoom. Was I too sarcastic b- uh, before? No, no. Okay, okay I'm just no, you know, Yeah. Also, he, he, I've, people have said worse things about Mark Zuckerberg than I think you just said about Mark Zuckerberg. I think he could handle this one. So, I think he could handle it. Thank you. The um, little bit of background on what just happened with Zoom. Basically, uh, Zoom used to have this login with Facebook button. You've seen these buttons everywhere. Of course. By the way, it's just that you know you have like that login with Google, login with Facebook, now login with Apple. And basically, Zoom is claiming that they didn't know that once you did that, once you logged in with Facebook, Facebook was going to get access to your customer information. That includes things like what device you use, the device model, and the device's unique advertising identifier, which is a thing, by the way. Each device has a unique advertising identifier. Still? Um, yeah. Oh, no, that, that that's standard across devices. Like, that's just a thing that every mobile phone has is every single device has a way that you could track it for these companies to target things to you. So that even if, like, for example, you're not, you don't even have a Facebook account, but you use Zoom, Facebook has your data now. <laughs> it's crazy. So, so, why, so what's the merit for this lawsuit? Because it seems like everyone has access Zoom, to Facebook so data. this wasn't this wasn't made clear to users in the privacy policy really anywhere got it um when motherboard actually did a study into this they're the ones who found out about this they told zoom about this and zoom to their credit to their credit zoom immediately got rid of it yeah they were they said we had no idea and they pushed out in their newest update of zoom they pushed out and the ceo actually put out a letter about this they pushed out a new update that curtails that and stops that from happening. Problem is, if you're using an old version of Zoom and you haven't updated your app recently, you're still li- you're still uh, vulnerable to giving your giving your information to Facebook right now. Uh, on top of that, by the way, this isn't just a lawsuit thing anymore. Companies are stopping 
using Zoom altogether. SpaceX just said that they're not. The Department of Education just said they're not. New York City public schools are no longer using Zoom, which is crazy. That's crazy. I don't think it's going to hurt the company long term because unfortunately, you know, privacy is privacy concerns um, and your apps and technology is a just a way of everyday life today. And there's Mm -hmm. so much news about it that I think people are just numb to it. So people keep using the apps they're using every day. I know, I know nobody stopped using Instagram and I know nobody will stop using zoom. Yeah. To to zoom's credit, they did act fast. fast. Whereas a lot of companies would deny it and play it out and, you know, take a long time, but zoom acted quickly and the CEO admitted they did wrong. Facebook, I can't say the I same mean, for Facebook. Yeah. You know? The, I mean, look, the thing, I don't think this is, I don't think this was malicious on Zoom's part. Truthfully, I don't think this was malicious. I don't think so either. You look at the numbers, like this startup, Zoom in December had 10 million daily active paid and free Zoom meeting participants. Now, at the beginning of April through Corona, Wanna what that number is? What? Two hundred million free and paid daily Zoom meeting participants. So from ten million four months ago, at the end of December, oh my, to two hundred <laughs> million. It's wild. It's wild. But it's because they were never meant to be this type of app. They weren't supposed to be a social app like the way that we're using it now. It's true. Right? Zoom was originally designed for enterprise. Right? Like for example, that's why Zoom really invested super heavily into. Uh, multiple meeting participants. You could have 100 meeting participants without really slowing down Zoom. Whereas you go to Skype and you could only hold up to 50. That's a huge difference when you think about it. Think about a college professor talking to their class or something like that. What I'd say further is if, if coronavirus never happened, this would have been a low-level story and nobody would be talking about it. Well, I mean, because at the time it would have been a scale of 10 million users. Exactly. Like, it, it, would have been this, it wouldn't have been 200 million. Right. Exactly. But because, no, I think the news really propped it up in a crazy way because of coronavirus and because everybody's using Zoom, it became, it became a bigger story than it would have been. I mean, it's a low level screw up by Zoom. I got it. Facebook's really at fault. We know that. They're dealing with that every day. We see news about that every day. But on Zoom's level, okay, they screwed up a little bit. They didn't sell your information. They, they immediately took steps to combat this. For example, uh, most importantly, they've completely halted all of the development of new features. At a time where they're growing faster than ever, they are not developing new features. They put a complete freeze on it. Instead, all of their technical resources right now are going towards privacy and security on the platform. So they're shoring up their end-to-end encryption. They're running third-party security and penetration tests on the site. I mean, on the platform right now to make sure that everyone who's in a Zoom meeting is completely, completely protected and safe while they're on it. I think they're recognizing, oh my God, we just became this huge platform literally in a matter of like four months. I think now instead of capitalizing off of it, I think they're actually rising to the occasion. And trying to say, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do this sustainably and let's do this right. It's clear that the, re- the world is going to be using it this way going forward. We can't change that, nor should we want to because we just grew 20x in four months. <laughs> but, you know, it's time that Zoom, I mean, I think Zoom's recognizing it's time that we rise to the occasion here and become the kind of platform that you could feel safe on. Agreed. Well said. We'll leave, it, we'll leave you with all that information, with Quibi, you decide, with Zoom. 
you decide whether it's really that bad that you're going to stop using Zoom. We both know you're not. We both know you're yeah, not. Like, w- w- did, by the way, does, remember iChat? Remember when you could video chat oh, people great. through iChat? This is, oh. if, if, you grew up, if you grew up during the iChat era, this is a real, like, this whole coronavirus thing is a real throwback. Because really when is. I was younger, that was, a, when you're in elementary school, your only social interaction other than going to school at night is video chatting people. And I've got some really embarrassing iChats of Robert. If you come back later, I'll, well, you can't see it. But if you, go, if you follow us on Instagram at casualpoor, at casual poor pod and on Twitter at casual poor, um, or you know maybe my, maybe our TikTok strategy because we're talking a lot about that could be just old iChats um, of Robert with his guitar singing. I've got so many catalogs. I actually I had no idea you had those. I have so many. I do. I do. I do. Well, let's wrap it up. Or if, <laughs> or if you're like a real fan, you know you can email us and I'll just share you the Dropbox folder. The drop. You have a Dropbox folder of this? Yeah, it's labeled iChats. Oh boy. All right, let's wrap up Casual Poor <laughs> okay. for this week. All right. Thank you everybody for listening. Our theme music is by Daniel Lerner. Our album art is by Evan Parnes. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Casual Poor. On Instagram at Casual Poor Pod. We are going to continue. We're going to continue banging out content. Keep sharing it. Uh, get the wisdom out there. And by the way, guys, I do have to say we have been loving the feedback that we've been getting from all of you. Thank you all so much yeah, for being a part of this. It's it been is. really great. And you guys have been making the show better with it too. It's so, fun. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. So thank you guys all so much for all of this. And we will see you next Tuesday. Cheers. Cheers.